Good morning. Thank you for being here today. We welcome you if you are visiting. We certainly appreciate your presence. We hope and pray that you'll come back. Thank you for honoring us, and thank you for the opportunity to get to know you. We hope and pray that your time with us today will be beneficial to you as we worship together the God of heaven and earth. We're looking today at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. In our study today, we're going to be talking about the vicarious suffering and death of Jesus. The word vicarious means in the place of another. It carries with it the idea of a substitute. And so when we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter tells us that Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. 2,000 years ago, the greatest tragedy the world has ever known took place. Jesus was crucified on Calvary, Golgotha. Luke tells us when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Him. And the malefactors, or thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. On the other side of the coin, what occurred 2,000 years ago was the greatest single thing the world has ever known because Jesus died and paid the price for our sins. And that's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 18. So in our study today, I want to begin by talking about first and foremost, a viable sacrifice. Now Peter said in the long ago, Christ also once suffered for us, the just for the unjust, to understand that there was strategic planning related to the cross. The cross was not an afterthought on God's part following the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but rather God had a plan in place before He ever laid the foundation of the world. You remember John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, spoke of Jesus and he said that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, would tell us that God had a plan in place so that we, that is members of the human family, might stand before him holy and without blame. That's a wonderful concept. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that Jesus was foreordained before the world began. To understand first and foremost that before God framed the world, He had us in mind. God gave man the ability to make choices in life, and with that ability, the omniscience of God, the fact that He is all-knowing, would suggest that God knew that given the opportunity to make choices, that man at some point would make the wrong choices and thereby sin necessitating a Savior. So God had that plan in place. Do you remember when God called a man by the name of Abraham of the long ago? 2,000 years before Jesus made His way into the world, God said to Abraham, In you shall all families, all nations of the world, the earth, be blessed. 
And so from that time forward, really Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the unveiling of the promised seed. But in Genesis chapter 12, you have the beginning of the formation of the Hebrew nation. And God is going to begin unveiling that redemptive promise. And so then we come down to Galatians chapter 4, and Paul would say, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. So God had a strategic plan in place to redeem us. But then, what about the substitutionary purpose of the cross? Now listen again to what Peter said. Christ also once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. Now we know that Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus never committed sin. He was the perfect solution to sin. And so we go back and pick up passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul would say, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, God was the primitive cause of our salvation. God's the one that served as the architect to draw up this divine plan of redemption. Jesus, however, was the sacrificial cause of salvation. He was that Lamb of God that was given to take away the sin of the world, as John records in John chapter 1. He is the Passover that was sacrificed for us. So Jesus, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus bore our sins in His own body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. You think about that for a minute. When Jesus went to the cross, He took your place. He took my place. The Lord Jesus did not do anything meriting death. As a matter of fact, Pontius Pilate, you remember when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, three times Pilate said to the Jews who were intent on putting him to death, I find no fault in this man. The Lord Jesus was innocent of the charges that had been trumped up, leveled against him. And then we have a record of Pilate asking the question, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And their response of the people in the first century, let him be crucified. Now that was God's plan. And when you look at the life of Jesus, to understand that the Lord Jesus had a singular aim in coming to planet earth, and that was to fulfill the will of God the Father. Do you remember Jesus said, for example, in John chapter 8 on one occasion, the Lord said, I always do those things that please Him. Everything the Lord did was in concert or harmony with the will of the Father. And so in John chapter 17, Jesus, Jesus could say in the shadow of the cross, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus died for you. Now, you remember what the record says back in the book of Matthew? The Bible tells us that as they made their way to Golgotha or Calvary, the Lord Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross. They compelled a man by the name of Simon of Serene to bear his cross. 
Jesus really didn't have a cross. The cross Jesus bore to Calvary that Simon would take up was our cross. He died in our place. As we noted a moment ago, the word vicarious means in the place of another. We rightfully should die and pay the penalty for sin. But when Jesus died, that satisfied the demands of the justice of Almighty God. And so as a result of that, we enjoy freedom from sin. Now, there's a second thing I want to call your attention to. First, we think about this viable sacrifice. But secondly, there's what I would call His visible suffering. Now, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Jesus once suffered for sins. Have you ever thought about the emotional trauma of the cross? Try to get inside the mindset of Jesus as He made His way to Golgotha. Now, we can look at what the record says concerning His agony in Gethsemane. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, He took with Him Peter, James, and John. And the Bible tells us that Jesus began praying to the Father. The Lord Jesus recognized that the cross lay before Him. And He is struggling with the weight of the cross. The human side of Jesus is demonstrated in the fact that Luke would tell us, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Or you think about the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 5 when he said, talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayer supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. So here's Jesus. And he is wrestling with the weight of the cross to understand that the weight of the human family, the sin of mankind, is weighing upon Him. And He is going to execute the will of the Father, come what may. And so there is the agony of Gethsemane. I think it's interesting to note. The record says three times Jesus prayed to the Father, if there is any other way, in other words, if there's some other way that your will can be accomplished, please, Father, let that come to pass. But each time he subjugated his will to the Father's, didn't he? Not my will be done, but yours. And then what about the agony of Golgotha? The Bible says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. I can't begin to comprehend the agonizing death that Jesus faced for us, which really leads us to another thought. Now we talk about the emotional trauma of the cross. But what about the physical trauma of the cross? That trauma evident prior to Calvary, as well as on Calvary. The record tells us that they stripped the Lord Jesus. Pilate offered him up to be scourged. The scourge was enough to kill any man. I can only imagine what the upper torso of the Lord Jesus looked like after the Roman soldiers scourged him. 
the whipping, the beating that he took. Sometimes we use the expression, beaten to a pulp. I'm convinced the Lord Jesus Christ was beaten to a pulp by the people that despised him, hated him. He stripped, he scourged, they taunted him by slapping him in the face. They spat upon him. I knew a man years ago that was trying to reach out to people and share the gospel with them. And he said that they were literally spat upon. How degrading. And yet the Bible says concerning Jesus, the Creator, the Redeemer, they spat upon him. And then when they made their way to Calvary, what about those nails that were driven into his arms, into his hands? Can you imagine the piercing, agonizing pain that coursed his body? Every muscle, every tendon, the nerve endings, the searing pain and agony. Why did he experience all that? Why was Jesus willing to go to Calvary and pay the ultimate price to die? i tell you why. Because of the love of God and the love of Jesus. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, Pilate had the idea that he had the power, and really that power vested in Him came from Almighty God. Jesus died on Calvary, but He did so willingly. Remember He said on one occasion, He could summon the Father and He would send twelve legions of angels. A Roman legion consisted of about five to six thousand troops. So Jesus was saying that at His beck and call, the Father would summon some 60 to 72,000 angels to His defense. So what was it that held Him welded to that cross? Was it the spikes? I mean, is that what kept Him on the cross? The Roman soldiers? And bear in mind, as Jesus hangs upon the cross, that you've got the religious leaders, the Jews who were present, as well as the Romans, and they are taunting the Son of God. They're casting insults into His face. The robbers that were crucified with Him, they too took part in insulting the Son of God. They questioned His sovereign power. They questioned the sovereignty of His position, that He was the Son of God. And by the way, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. You think Jesus could have come down from the cross? The thought occurred to me this past week. Go back and examine the life of Jesus. Look at the numerous miracles that Jesus conducted during the first century. Beginning at Cana of Galilee, when He turned water to wine. I mean, this is a guy that healed people that had been paralyzed. Here was a man that, in John chapter 9, gave sight to a man that had been born blind. 
In John chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, these miracles were not done in the corner. But rather, the people that stood at the foot of the cross acknowledged that he had saved others. But they said, he can't save himself. Now, do you really believe that? That Jesus could not have saved himself? And I try to put myself in the place of those who stood at the foot of the cross. Here's a guy that has demonstrated time and again the miraculous power of Almighty God. He has raised the dead. And you're questioning his sovereign power? You're questioning his sovereign position? If he's the Son of God, listen, he is the Son of God. He was the Son of God. I want to believe that I would have feared in my heart of hearts calling out a man that had demonstrated the power of God time and again. In my mind, I would have thought, who's to say that he's not going to strike me down? So here's Jesus suffering for us. There were a lot of animals that were put to death under the Old Covenant as well as under that period of the patriarchs. All of those blood sacrifices anticipated the coming of God's Lamb, being Jesus. The Passover that was instituted by Almighty God, while the children of Israel were in Egypt, that was a type of the sacrifice of our Passover, that being the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He suffered immensely for us. Just a moment ago, we partook of the Lord's Supper. Could I ask you today, when you took the bread, symbolizing the body that was given in your stead, as well as mine. Did your mind go back to Calvary? Did you think about the fact that Isaiah said seven centuries before Jesus came to earth that He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Where would you be without the death of Jesus? Without His willingness to give His body and you remember Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Every first day of the week, we partake of this memorial feast to remind ourselves that without Jesus, we would be dead in sin. And ultimately, we, we would suffer the consequences of a life of sin. Paul spelled that out in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, when he said the wages of sin is death, not physical death, spiritual death. Eternal separation from Almighty God. As we partook of the fruit of the vine, the cup, Jesus said that that cup symbolized the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for many, listen to him, for the remission of sins. All those blood sacrifices under the period of the patriarchs, the countless sacrifices offered under the Mosaic Dispensation. Not a single blood sacrifice 
satisfied the demands of divine justice. Only the blood of Jesus. And you think about the blood that was shed in your stead and mine. That every first day of the week we bring to our memory the fact that Jesus shed His blood so that we might enjoy, as He said, celebrating the Passover with His apostles, His disciples, so that we might enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of our sins. It is a privilege to reflect upon the death of Jesus every first day of the week. So we have His visible suffering. But then thirdly, there is the victory of salvation. Now the Bible says that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Three days following the death of Jesus, the Bible tells us He rose from the dead. And the Lord Jesus Christ ever lives, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, to make intercession for us. So what about the power of the cross? What's the punch the cross has to offer a lost and dying world? I can sum it up in two words. Redemption, reconciliation. Jesus redeemed us by His blood. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. He redeemed us not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but rather, the Bible says, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Paul would write in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption, listen to Him, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. What Paul is saying is that Jesus paid the price for our redemption. He bought us. He bought and paid for us with His divine blood. So there is redemption by His blood and reconciliation in His body. Now the Bible tells us, going all the way back to the eternal plan of God, that the church was God's redemptive plan. In other words, the church exists according to the eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Ephesians 3, verses 9 through 11. Now when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul would say that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile, listen to him, in one body under God through the cross. Today we have been reconciled, haven't we? The Lord Jesus Christ functions as our mediator, as Paul would say in 1 Timothy 2. He serves as our intercessor. He functions as an advocate. And He is the one that has reconciled the two parties. When sin entered into the world, man became estranged from his God. And that occurred in the garden. The only way to effectively bring the two parties together, man and God, is for Jesus to go to the cross. So you have God on one hand, you've got mankind on the other, and Jesus in the middle. And the Lord Jesus is taking the hand of man, the hand of God, and bringing the two together. 
And so we enjoy redemption and reconciliation in His body. Now we talk about the plan of the cross. What's the plan of the cross? But to understand first and foremost that Jesus is the person who has the ability to save. No one else can save. There's not a person on earth that has the ability to save us from sin. Only Jesus. Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And you remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible tells us, the apostles said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord Jesus is the one who saves. So what about His plan? When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form, that pattern of doctrine delivered to you. And being set free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. God has a plan in place so that you might enjoy fellowship with Him. Now you think about that. We have a holy God in heaven who desires our fellowship. We have the opportunity to be at one with the Father. Well, who made that possible? Jesus did. And His plan is very simple. It necessitates faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Now, I know that there were a lot of folks that stood at the foot of the cross. They hurled insults into His face. They didn't believe in Him. And yet, we have the opportunity to examine the evidence. And we, like Peter and others, can conclude that Jesus was exactly who He said He was, and that's the Son of God. And then to recognize there's a better way of life than just living in the world. That better way of life begins with faith and then repentance. A turning away from sin unto the Savior. To say, you know what? I'm going to live the rest of my life a different person. And listen, that's afforded to us through the new birth. The new birth that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 affords us a new beginning in Christ. And then you add to that the new blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And then you have a Christian. Somebody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, repented of their sins. They have been baptized in the name of Jesus. For what reason? To be saved, Mark 16, 16. Not before, but after. To enjoy the remission of sins, not before, but after being baptized. To enjoy the washing away of sins, not before, but after. And once we do that, God then puts us in an exclusive body. You want to talk about a unique relationship to God? To be a part of a divine institution that is unrivaled. That institution is called the church of Christ. It is the church that Jesus promised to build. It is the church that He bought with His blood. It is the church that belongs to Him. When the Lord Jesus comes again, He's going to say to those who are in that body, who have been faithful to Him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Can I prove that those who are in the church are among the saved? Acts 2 verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Ephesians 5.23 says that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And so Christ is the Savior of the ecclesia, the called out. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. So today, we stand to benefit, we have benefited, as a result of the vicarious suffering and death of God's only begotten Son. There's a reason why John 3.16 is called the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord is encouraging people today to come to Him. As He said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being, I'll give you rest. From what? From sin. Rest from the servitude of sin and to be a part of His divine body and to enjoy fellowship and to know that when this world ends or when life meets death, that we go home to be with God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to remember that Jesus died for your sins as well as for my sins. And then... If you're here today and maybe you're not what you ought to be and you want the prayers of this church, we'd be more than happy to pray on your behalf. There's a loving God in heaven who will abundantly pardon every single sin. You can enjoy fellowship with Him once again. Won't you come as we stand and sing?